Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. I am Jackie. This is Drea. And this week's drink is the hurricane. Oh man, you guys. The hurricane, it's a storm of brewing. Oh yeah. It's coming for you. And it's a little Hide storm. Your kids. It's a little storm outside. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, this hurricane is coming tonight. Um so we got this oh, we got this cocktail as a recommendation from a listener. Mm. Um her Instagram handle is Ray underscore of sun of sunshine. And it's R-A-Y-E underscore of sunshine with two E's at the end. Ray of sunshine. Ray of sunshine. Um, and actually, the reason why she recommended the cocktail is because she actually recommended a murder. That's right. And you dibs did real early. Oh, I was like talking to her. I was like, oh, what is this? It's, it's but amazing. You, I mean, you had the conversation with her first, so I can't yeah. get too butthurt about so it. So I was like, if you can find me a cocktail, I will do this murder. And she was like, boom, hurricane, I got you. Okay. So this okay, I'm excited to hear what the tie ends up being. Um, but more about the Hurricane cocktail. Jackie, what color is this cocktail? It looks like a tequila sunrise. It does, actually. It's the orange juice and the grenadine that yeah, kind of yeah, gives yeah. it that little mm-hmm. that little look. That little look. It's like a tequila sunrise if when you went to take a sip you got punched in the face with alcohol. <laughs> but you can't really <laughs> taste the alcohol. Or I can't anymore. I mean, did your ta- you've lost feeling in your yeah, tongue? I think so. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> it's like sugary and boozy. It does dissipate with time. Maybe like the first sips. Maybe it mm-hmm. hadn't mixed well. Or, or now I've had now half it's of fine. it. You know. <laughs> uh, but like we were saying, dark rum, light rum. You got some passion fruit in there. Orange you got juice. Some orange grenadine. Juice. Yep. Simple syrup. Yeah. So it's one of many popular drinks served in New Orleans. Really? Yes. Nolans. Nolans. Um, it is traditionally served in a, uh, the tall, curvy hurricane glass. I mean, we kind of... Ours isn't tall. It's short and thick. Uh, so the hurricane cocktail is made differently on the islands of the Bahamas. The drink is composed of various measures of coffee, liqueur, 151 rum, Irish cream, and Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier. Marnier. It's uh, Which is like a deviation of triple sack it's like a nicer it sounds like irish cream and coffee like no i, I so that's you're a making a face no, in that's... my head all of those like those make delicious drinks but this is my thing that's not a hurricane that's a whole another ball game the creation of the passion fruit colored relative of the daiquiri is cr- oh, the daiquiri we need to do that Ooh. it's credited to new orleans tavern owner pat o'brien the bar allegedly started as a speakeasy called mr o'brien's club Tipperary, and the password was Storms Bruin. Storms Bruin. I feel like if you have a speakeasy, you can't put your name on it because, like, they're they're gonna know you it's yours. You could pretend it was just a gentleman's club. You oh. could pretend it was a smoking club. Oh, jolly good. Yes. So, in the 1940s, he needed to create a new drink to help him get rid of all the lesser popular rums. Uh, okay, the- so it's a clean out the basement drink. yes uh-huh and so he poured the concoction into hurricane lamp shaped glasses and gave it away to sailors the drink huh. the drink caught on and it has been a mainstay in the french quarter ever since i'm gonna guess that the popularity of this drink hinges on its booze factor mm-hmm. and that people feel like they're getting their money's worth mm. I-, I feel like because it's it's like a long island i think there's a party factor to a boostastic drink mm-hmm. jackie how do you like the cocktail middle of the road mm-hmm. i'm not gonna order it i would not order this if i was on vacation at like an all-inclusive and there was like a round of these being bought by everybody i'd you know i'd jump off a bridge i guess mm-hmm. i would have one yeah um but i would get a painkiller over this i would get a mai tai over this Gin buck. yeah i'm staying with like the <laughs> island things of it. But okay. yes yes uh yeah it's it's it doesn't taste bad i'm mm-hmm. not like choking it down but it's also not a new fave yeah all right what about you no (laughs) don't like it Mm, no i mean it's fine but i wouldn't order it you don't like it (laughs) it's not up there it's not on my server cocktail list yeah Yeah. it's not a jim buck it's not a jim buck nothing has upseated i am jonesing for jim buck (laughs) let me tell you well summer is upon us (laughs) jackie is it murder time is it murder time 
I'm going to tell you about Reuben, Hurricane, Carter. Stop it. Really? Are you familiar with this case at all? You know I don't know names. Do it one more time. Reuben, Hurricane, Carter. No, I got nothing. It's famous. He's famous. It's been covered by a million people. There's a major motion picture starring Denzel Washington. Which makes me laugh really hard because I remember being at Blockbuster Video with my mom and my sister and we're like cruising the outer, you know, we're cruising the new releases. We're not in the core. We're cruising the outside and we're like picking a movie. And my mom goes, ooh, what about this one? It's a natural disaster. And she's holding up and it's just Denzel's face and it says hurricane. And my sister and I laughed so hard at her. In a very, like, mean girl's way. And then yeah. we're like, that's a movie about, like, a boxer. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, I don't want to watch a movie about a boxer. And, like, put it back. And we ended up getting something else. Yeah. Probably the perfect storm. Uh, but <laughs> <Or> so <laughs> Yeah. There's so many good ones. Um, so I knew that that movie existed. I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about – well, now I do because I've obviously researched my story a little bit. But I didn't, going into this, know anything about it. I just knew it was the story of a boxer who'd been accused of a crime – who went to prison for a long time. Mm-hmm. That was kind of how much I knew about it. There is a uh, relatively new, like in the last year or so, BBC podcast that came out called The Hurricane Tapes. Mm-hmm. And they have all this old, like it's not only interviews, old interviews and recordings of Ruben, uh, hur- of Hurricane talking about all of this, but also the other guy that was lumped into the crime with him, detective, like it, there's all sorts of treasure shows of audio and it's these sports writers from england who are researching this so they're not like true crime detectives they're just uh really great reporters and they're interested in it because it's boxing um and it's just like a really great super detailed entertaining i'm like five episodes in maybe yeah um but i've really been enjoying the hurricane tapes so if you want a podcast, I'll mention it again at the end when we talk about what we're listening to. Um, but I've thoroughly been enjoying those podcasts. Okay. So Reuben Carter was born May 6, 1937. Oh, old. In Clifton, New Jersey. So he's like the fourth of about seven kids. Um, and he had trouble with the law from a very young age. Um, he went to the juvie. He went to, to a juvie. He went to juvie for assault. Allegedly... For stabbing a guy in self defense in self defense when he was eleven. Oh wow! Um, in juvie? No, he oh. went to juvie. Oh, got for it, got it, got it. Um, he escapes from that uh, reformatory in 1954, and so he's like 17 ish, I think. Quick math, um, and he joins the army. So he completes his basic training. It's in like West Virginia or something, and he heads over to West Germany because Germany is still two different spots at this point. Um, he begins to box for the U.S. Army. So that's where he discovers that he's like a really good boxer. He's boxing for the U.S. Army. Um, He's discharged in 1956 as unfit for service after four court-martials. Shortly after he's discharged, he's convicted of two muggings and sent to prison. So he has a very rough life, kind of always. Um, He's released from prison in 1961, and that's when he begins his uh, career as a professional boxer. So he's shorter than most middleweight boxers. He's about 5'8". Okay. Um, and he's always boxed in like the 155 to 160 range. So when you look at like photos, like dude is just built because mm-hmm. um, he's in that same weight range as those taller but dudes. Shorter. Yeah, yeah. But he's shorter. So his reach is a little bit different, but he's just this powerhouse. Um, he's very good. He kind of takes uh, attention. He gains a reputation for early knockouts so people are like really excited about him he's ranked in the top 10 of middleweight boxers for a time he's only uh, boxing for a handful of years though before he gets into trouble and can't really box anymore yeah um but by 1963 he's kind of he's lost a big fight he's starting to kind of lose some of his cachet um there's also like I couldn't find much about this. There's also an incident in a lo- in a London hotel room where a firearm went off. So mm. he seems to kind of trouble kind of follows mm-hmm. him. Um, he's very vocal about. So if you think about this, it's the early to mid sixties. He's like a he's doing well in the boxing world. Um, he's an Af- African American boxer, and he's very vocal about how much he despises the police. 
how he wants the police to be treated, how black people are being treated in America. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very much uh, when Malcolm X is kind of coming out, he, he really like ties into that and mm-hmm. feels like that is the way to go. Um, later on down the road, uh, Muhammad Ali will be kind of speaking on behalf of okay, him, yeah. saying like he wasn't treated fairly. So it like think about the timing of all of this is a very uh, tumultuous time for Black Americans. Uh, just to kind of give it a little bit of context. Okay, so now let's take ourselves to the, the incident on June sixteenth, nineteen sixty six. Reuben Carter, he go, he heads out. So he's in uh, New Jersey at the time, and he's going out to a club called the Night Spot. Mm-hmm. And he's just gonna he's gonna carry on and have a great time. He loves going out. Um, he's wearing a white sports jacket, white shirt, black tie, black vest, black pants. So kind of a little black and white theme. Um, he's driving on his way to the Night Spot, and he sees this guy John Art- uh, John Artis, um, who's walking down the street. John had been home and he's kind of young. He's like 19-ish, doesn't drink, um, but he loves to dance. Mm-hmm. People call him dancing boy. Oh. He's like a dancer. So he's like, I'm going to go down to the night spot and I'm going to tear up a rug. So he's like walking down and then he sees Ruben driving and it's a small enough neighborhood, I think. He's like, hey, Ruben. And Ruben pulls over. He's like, are you headed to the night spot? He's like, yeah, I'm going to the night spot. Hey, can I get a ride? So he gives him a ride. Mm-hmm. So when they get to the club... Ruben heads to the bar because he's going to drink and party there. And uh, John is like, I'm headed back to the back where the dance floor is. And he's just dancing all night. How fun. And like, witnesses are like, he's here dancing. He's here drinking. Like, they were here all night. So then when it's last call. So they've got so, – so when I was listening to the podcast, they've got some – tapes of like him talking about that night and he's like they took it to last call i remember being like oh you know the night's over um so he goes outside and when he's outside he bumps back into reuben and he's like hey man can i get a ride like you gave me a ride here can i get a ride back they haven't seen each other all night and reuben's like uh do you have your license because like i've been drinking like and he's like yeah i have a license so he throws him his keys he's like cool you can drive then there's another guy who's way steamy waist pants, and his name is uh, Bucks Royster, and he's like, hey, can I get a ride too? Mm-hmm. So now you've got John, who doesn't drink. He's driving. Mm-hmm. You've got Bucks Royster. He sits shotgun. And then you've got Ruben, who lays down in the back seat. Which right now sounds, sounds like the best plan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, everything's yeah. like, it's just the end of a, a night out. So... The car is a white Dodge Polara with out-of-state New York mm, plates. Okay. So it's got dark blue plates with gold letters. Um, and it has a unique kind of butterfly shape to the, uh, like, aluminum housing on the taillights. So it's a unique car to mm-hmm. a degree. Um, they're driving around. So now John is going to be taking people to drop him off. John, when he's retelling the time, he's like, I don't know what time it was i just know it's last call and that's kind of when last call is is 2 30 2 45 so that same night so now we're june 17th 1966 we're 2 30 a.m so now we're into the next day two african-american men entered the lafayette bar and grill at east 18th street at lafayette street in patterson new jersey so same town is i think it's like a mile down the road it's not far um and they begin shooting they shoot the bartender james oliver a customer fred nyox I don't know how to say his last name. Um, they're killed immediately. They severely wound a customer, Hazel Tannis. Uh, she lived for like a month but ended up dying. Um, she had been shot in the throat, the stomach, the oh intestine, spleen. So there was a handgun and a shotgun involved. Okay. Um, and then a third customer, Willie Marins, he survived the attack. Um, but he had a wound to his head that cost him one of his eyes. Whoa. So there's just this massacre that happens. It's two at, shooters. It's two shooters, okay. two African-American men. And from what I can gather, there's never a motive yeah. created. It's just two guys come in and just no start. No robbery kind of thing. Yeah. The way the police kind of portray it in the trial um, is it was just kind of a white hate crime. It was go in and just shoot all mm-hmm. these white people. So that's going on at around the same time that all of these guys are saying we're Half of us are drunk and we're driving them home and we're not down the road at this other where everyone saw us at this other bar and we're leaving that other bar. So about 10 minutes later, 
uh, about a mile from the Lafayette Bar and Grill, Ruben and his companions get pulled over by the police. Mm. So the police come up to the car, and because there's two guys in the front seat, and Ruben's laying in the back seat, so they only think there's two guys in the car. Oh, no. So the police pull them over, and then the police look in the back, and he goes, oh, hey, champ, I didn't see you there. Like, they recognize Ruben. Like, yeah. he's kind of a staple on the scene. Yeah. Um, Ruben goes, hey, what's going on? Like, why are we being stopped? And he goes, oh, this is a quote from the police officer. We're looking for two Negroes. Okay. And then Ruben goes, okay, what happened? Like, what's... And he's like, oh, you know, have a good evening. It's not you guys. Okay. Get out of here. Um, so then they go and they drop off Royster. And now it's just John and Ruben in the car. And it's about 3 a.m. now. They get pulled over again. Oh, no. And... It's very different from the first pullover. Yeah. So now, the way that John tells it, the there's a bunch of cop cars, and they go, and they're yelling at them. So they haven't, like, had them exit the car yet. They go, hey, follow what, like, that's that cop car, follow that cop car. And then the other cop cars have a shotgun out the window at them, handguns Whoa. out the window. They just have guns pulled on them and are telling them, drive to follow where this cop yeah. is. So he drives them to a spot. They get to what they now know is the back entrance to the Lafayette Bar and Grill. Mm -hmm. They pull over. They get out of the car. They're put up against the wall. And now they're watching them carry bodies out of the Bar and Grill. Yeah. A paddy wagon pulls up. They put them in the back of the paddy wagon. And they go, you're going to the hospital. Uh, We've got witnesses. And they're going to point you out. Oh, my God. So they take them to the hospital. And that's where they have, I think it's uh, the dude, uh, Marins. So he's laying in a gurney. He can't speak. He's lost an eye. Like he's been shot in the head. Yeah. They bring him over no. and they're asking him, they're like, hey, are these the guys that did oh it? Oh my God. And Marins shakes his head no. Okay. So then they go, he can't see very well. Bring him closer. Oh, Jesus Christ. So then they bring the guys closer. They're right up on yeah. him. And they go, are these the guys that shot you? And Marins shakes his head no. And they go, all right, take them to the station. No, no, no. So then they take them to the station, and they have a 17-hour interrogation. Of course they do. Um, so during the questioning of the witnesses, so Marins, the dude, and Tannis, they tell police that the shooters are two black males, but neither of them ever identified Reuben Carter or John Artis. They both were like, not yeah, those guys. because they weren't there. Yeah. Um, Reuben, so Reuben likes to point out, he's like, I was wearing an incredibly recognizable outfit. Not only was it bright white, where if I was involved in this huge massacre, mm. I would have been covered in blood, mm-hmm. but you would have, like, recognized me. And I was wearing that outfit all night. Yeah. And I'm, he's like, I got a shiny bald head. I got a big goatee. Like, I'm famous. Yeah. People would know if it was me. Yeah. So he keeps kind of, like, relaying on that. And, it, and for a lot of the time, they're like, this will get cleared up. This will get cleared up. Um, it wasn't us, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. Then, um... In addition to the the victims who survived, there's another witness. So her name is Patricia Patty Valentine. So she lived above the Lafayette Bar and Grill. So okay. she hears all the mayhem, looks out the window. She sees two black men run into a white car and peel off. A white car. It's a white car with dark license plates with gold lettering, which is not common in New Jersey. So yeah. it's an out-of-state plate. Yeah. So she goes, that's what the plates look like. It had kind of crazy butterfly looking. Oh, no. So she kind of describes his car. Oh, no. Which looks bad. Yeah. Is it... He has a white car with the butterfly? He has a white car. Like, uh, he has a white car. He's got New York plates. Oh, and he has no. a, a unique... Yeah. set up to his taillights yeah um so then there's this other eyewitness i'll introduce you to a guy named alfred bellow okay he's a witness because he was in the neighborhood burglarizing a factory <laughs> so he's like yeah i was the lookout my buddy was in robbing this place. I decided to go into the Lafayette Bar and Grill to get a drink. I guess I'm not a good lookout. His story is kind of crazy. Yeah. So he says that he goes to, he's walking towards the Lafayette Bar and Grill, and, and his story changes. He says that as he's coming up, two black guys come out, that they have a shotgun and a handgun, and that they pointed at him, that there's a little bit of like a confrontation. He then says that he runs away from them, and that they chased him, and he got away, and he hid in an alley. Well, then, like, John, John Artis, who's not the boxer, he was the driver, John's like, I was, like, all state in track. My event was literally the distance he said that he got it. Like, his story is complete 
mm-hmm. garbage. Like, even if that was me, there's no way he would have outrun me. Yeah. Like, that guy, like, he's just a liar. Nothing mm-hmm. about his story makes any sense. Unless it's somebody else who he could get away from. But so he has this story about how he ran into these guys and ran away. Then eventually... The, the police are like, he's a liar. He's a thief. And they're just kind of wearing him down. And eventually his story gets to, uh, okay, I got there. I saw the two guys come out and peel off in the car. And then I went in and I robbed. I stepped over dead bodies. What? And I robbed the till of the $60 cash that oh it had. Oh, my God. So he's a real piece of work. Oh. Then. Ugh. So at first, there's like they have a grand jury. So yeah. they've arrested. They've you know they've uh, interviewed them for 17 hours. They they want them for the murder. They take him to grand jury, and one of the cops is like, I don't really think we have like one of the cops at that time is like, mm, I don't really think they did it. Like I've turned everything over to the DA. Um, but he later changes his tune. He's like, Oh no, I thought we had enough and blah blah blah. Um, but it gets dismissed from grand jury. Four months go by after the murder. It's the day before, I think, John's birthday. I think he was going to turn 19 or something. Uh, all of a sudden, there is – there's a like a $10,000 reward issued from somebody and then like a 2000 or $2,500 reward from the bartender's union of mm. like information about this crime. Yeah. So then all of a sudden, Bellow comes forward. Got it. And he's like, yeah, I said it was – guys – I think it's Reuben Hurricane, and I think it's this other guy. Um, where's my money at? Then his buddy, who he was robbing the other place with, suddenly that guy has seen everything too. Mm-hmm. So now they have these two eyewitnesses mm-hmm. who are in the neighborhood who are like, it was them. This is what the car looked like. But we already know they're liars. Like, all right. So it's accepted as not a lie. And like their story about the head about the taillights kind of changes a bit. At first they say they light up like a butterfly. Then they're like, no, it's just shape. So it's almost like they're getting fed information or mm-hmm. learning things after the fact yeah. and changing it a little bit. Um, so there's some debate about the car and eyewitnesses and like some of it looks bad and like that could be someone who saw a very unique car peel out of just that area. Um, so then they arrest them, take them to a trial. So now we've got, and they're, I think, on trial together. Um, so the reason that the car got stopped the second time was because that night when Bello was like, oh, I saw a white car. Like, they were like, oh, we just pulled over earlier tonight. Dude's in a white car with interesting taillights with out-of-state plates. So that was why they got pulled over the second got time it. was based off the eyewitness testimony uh, from the first one. And the other thing, like I didn't mention earlier, uh, Hurricane loves guns, has a ton of guns. He's super into them. He's like, I, all, you know, the fact that I didn't have a gun in the car that night is strange. Got it. I should have had a car in the gun and I just. I should have had a gun in the car? Yeah. He's like, I always had a gun in the car. Um, and they don't find one, I think, when they pull him over. So there's some debate about what they find in the car because the car gets impounded and stuff that they find in the car doesn't get logged for like five days. Mm. And they found a shell, like a shotgun shell, but it was a different kind of shotgun shell than what was found at the murder. And he's like, yep, yeah, I love shotguns. And they found uh, another casing to something. And he's like, yep, I go, like, mm. that's part of my regimen when I go and I train for fights. I, like, shooting is a part of that. Mm. So he has explanations for stuff, but it's also like, ugh, you got, you know, where are your guns? That yeah. they, like, Him also saying, like, yeah, I don't know where my guns are. So the idea is that he left the night spot with John, that they went and they committed this crime, they dumped their clothes, then they went back and picked up Royster. That's the timeline that the police Would have come have up any, with. Like previous things in their past. No, like... there's and there's no reason. Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Hurricane's like, before all that, he was like, everyone knows when I was at the bar. I'm at the bar all night. I left with two girls. Mm. I took them home. I dropped them off. They can say he took us home and dropped us off. But then he wanted to go back. He wanted to get more money. I think he's gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when he came back and got. So he's either unaccounted for alone which doesn't match the story of two shooters going to this spot yeah um or he's with the three guys because then after they've dropped off royster now there's the two so the timeline of who he's with and when also doesn't really jibe with the story yeah um so he's found he and john are found guilty (gasps) 
And there's come and again, like it's worth listening to this podcast because there's so many more details than what I'm giving. Yeah. Um, but there's stuff about like they did a, a big search. There were I think 200 potential jurors. They bring it down. There was something. It was weird. There's like 14 people on the jury that hear the whole trial. So like alternates, I guess. And slightly, I don't think they do it this way anymore. But so they have a bigger jury than who's going to be the true jury that mm-hmm. hears everything. And then when it's time to go deliberate, that's when you decide who the alternates are. Huh. And so they're like, all right, so now everyone's name gets put on a piece of paper and thrown into a hat. And then we'll pull out the two people that aren't a part of so the jury anymore. So everyone hears everything. Everyone hears everything. Yeah. And that's how, like right now, you have alternate jurors in case someone has to get dismissed for whatever yeah. reason. Um, but you always know the whole trial that you're the alternate yeah. and that it might not come to you. Whereas back then or in that state, it's everybody's listening. You don't know if you're going to be part of the jury or Got not. It. So what John was saying, he's like, dude, I didn't make a big enough of a ruckus at the time. But when they pulled the name out, he goes, I saw the one black guy's name, like his piece of paper was crumpled. Mm. Like they intentionally had us with an all white jury and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they go to prison and there's a bunch, there's like appeals and stuff. It goes through a bunch of other, like, um, in 1975, 74, uh, Hurricane hires like a like a PR person essentially, and he's like, "Hey, like, let's get some publicity around this." Yeah, and that's when Muhammad Ali gets involved, and he starts like highlighting the story and talking about it. Uh, there's a really great uh, Bob Dylan song, mm-hmm. which is super catchy. Like, well, when we're done here, I'll play that song, and like, it just tells the night of wow. the murder. Like, he yeah. goes through all the like details of it, um, and that gets like huge notoriety. When Muhammad Ali was on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, he was like, "Hey." hurricanes in jail like there's all sorts of publicity around it and it does it starts to pick up steam and i feel like he gets pardoned by somebody like he ends up being freed Mm -hmm. and john artist ends up being freed after like 20 years in jail Wow! and hurricane moves up to canada he still is having trouble with like he's beating women he like there's still like things that are kind of he's not a great dude yeah um and he i think he passed away a couple years ago in like 2014 or so prison helped in any way to like no yeah. and like in one part of the podcast they're talking about how they're driving around with john and he seems like this really just this jovial dude and he's just like listening to his favorite song he's like drumming on the stereo and they're like and it's kind of into, like he's missing a ton of fingers yeah. because he got some autoimmune oh. thing in prison that like cost him finger like it ravaged both their yeah. lives were they in a state where they give um kind of like compensation for time spent because i don't, they found I not don't know guilty or they wise, just served no their time? i think they served time oh, wow. no but they both had so that was the other thing they were both sure once if it's a federal crime like that mm-hmm. and if it's first degree murder when the jury comes back it's the only time the jury like in that moment you're also going to know what your sentence is Got it. because normally you're found guilty and then you come back for sentencing but in a capital murder crime like that that's first degree the jury comes and they go you're found guilty mm-hmm. and then like the second breath is uh, we either recommend mercy or we don't mm-hmm. and if they don't recommend mercy it's the death penalty wow and if they recommend mercy it's life in prison and so they came back and said we recommend mercy which was not expected if guilty yeah. was the thing that they got and later there were some people who interviewed jurors and it was the female jurors who said oh we and they deliberated i think for like five hours it wasn't a long deliberation and they were like oh the moment we hit jury chambers everyone was like guilty cool we all know guilty let's not even talk about that and they argued about whether they were going to mur- like kill them wow. or not and it took five hours for them to like sway the other and be like let's land on life Mercy. in prison yeah wow yeah, so I don't I, – I, what I couldn't find was if it was a true pardon, if it – like I don't think it was a presidential pardon or like Do you how think all the legality guilty? of – I don't know. I haven't – like I'm curious to see because I think in future episodes that are coming up, they offer some other theory because it's mm-hmm. – it looks bad that there's – that they're the, out. The car. They're close. The car matches. Um, now is it that people – are inventing seeing them get like maybe you saw that car drive down that street but witness testimony we know that that's not not, great and like i i definitely don't take the robbers who wanted the reward money like Mm -hmm. the one person who sticks out to me is the lady who lived above Mm -hmm. 
But she just saw two black guys jump into a car. Mm-hmm. Like she didn't really see. There's no way that she could see gold lettering on a license plate in the middle of the night like that. No, like you would say, like think of a California plate, how it's like a white background yeah. with you know red letters, mm-hmm. and you would know like, and Oregon's going to be white with green. Like you would, you'd know if it's not a normal yeah yours the state you live in plate she didn't say it's a new york plate she said it's not it's an out-of-state license plate it's not our license plate and it looked kind of like this um but the fact that the people who were shot by people were like it wasn't those guys and the way that one of the the way the perpetrator who they're saying was ruben they're like he was tall he was like six one um he had a pencil thin mustache and like they're describing someone who's not him at all and they have a guy he's five eight yeah super built has a huge goatee and a bald head yeah and the guy at the hospital he's like no that's not them that's and not he's them. like look at him again no that's and not one him. of the one of the detectives in one of the tapes is talking about it. he goes what never came up is the that witness he goes he there was a lot of like uh victim sympathy when he came into the like because he couldn't walk mm-hmm. and he's got this huge wound in his eye like that he's not making any sense and the detective's like that's what that guy was like before he was shot. Yeah. He was a mess yeah. and he couldn't walk and he made no sense. And everyone's thinking this is because he got the, shot yeah. in the brain. He goes, but that is, that's just what that dude was like. Yeah. And what about the guy in the back of the car that they dropped off? Like, does his testimony- He got off on everything because, one, it didn't match the story. Well, no. Cause and like- two, they were like, he was so drunk, there's no way he had anything to do with anything. No, I know. But, like, doesn't he give a timeline to, like, okay, we had this guy. He was a bad drop- witness. Like, they brought him up and they're like, he can't. He's remember he either is a drunk or they portrayed him as a drunk. But what about the he cops couldn't who remember. saw him in the back? They obviously re- recognized him. Did yeah. they take the stand? Ah. So, there's a major motion picture to okay. watch. Denzel's in it. He got a not an Academy Award nomination for it, so oh. it should be a good movie. Um, and this podcast is really good. Yeah. What was the podcast name again? Podcast is called The Hurricane Tapes. Nice. And I think there's like 13 episodes. I'm like five yeah. in maybe. Jackie, that was really good. Yeah. Great tie. <laughs> good job. Hurricane. Cheers to you. <laughs> All right, guys. We're going to take a quick break. We'll see you in a second. Hey, Jackie. We are back from the break. And what a break it was. It was. <laughs> That was like a that was a good break. That was a, I'm impressed with our break. We sobered up a little bit. Yeah, we that had was some nice. snacks. We had I've got water. We talked about Game of Thrones. It was fantastic. I feel like we're better people. Oh, definitely. All right, I'm going to tell you a murder story. Moeda, Moeda. So um, I kind of mentioned this in the beginning of the episode, but this was recommended by yes. a listener. Uh, her Instagram handle is Ray underscore of Sunshine, and she was like this is an ongoing story in florida right now like i'm intrigued okay (laughs) so thank you again for ray underscore of sunshine um i got a lot of my information from the tampa bay times essentially all this is from them they have it's a florida man story they have a huge like continuous ongoing story with what's going on okay um we can thank josh solomon lane de gregory who does an article called the long fall that's very detailed and zachary t uh samson so thank you guys for all your cite your sources investigation yeah Uh, usually mine are coming from like a bunch of different articles Mm -hmm. but this one was sometimes you find some that are just too good so good okay so i'm gonna tell you about john nicholas john chuck jr hold on okay john nicholas john chuck jr Mm -hmm. as a name (laughs) and a woodchuck would it would it woodchuck woodchuck would (laughs) okay so uh john is born on november 11th 1989 in tampa florida 89 and i'm just gonna get this out of the way now because i'm gonna forget we picked this murder case with this cocktail because Ray of Sunshine was like, here's your murder. Yeah. This is the cocktail you need to use because hurricanes, Florida, Florida, hurricanes. Yes. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, boom. So there's Not your Not only is the poor state of Florida hit by hurricanes uh-huh. on a regular basis, but also it is the mascot to one of their colleges. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Good to know. Okay. So John's father, John, John Chuck Sr., is a construction worker. Uh, who has a drinking problem Mm. and he is arrested multiple times for beating john's mom and he loses his license after too many duis um so he moves away when john is three years old so he kind of pieces out he doesn't really know that at all um or at least we're gonna circle back yeah okay so he's john is now living with his mother and um 
He is five years old. And, and like Tampa, like are we water Florida or are we panhandle Florida? I'm going to say somewhere near the water. Okay. Okay. Uh, so John's mother leaves him when he's five years old because Whoa. she is addicted to cocaine. So John's living with his mother and everything's going all right um, until he turns around five years old. And um, his mother kind of, because um, she's addicted to cocaine and she's like in and out of jail. Um, so he goes to live with his uncle, Brian Morris. Um, but John is acting out at this point. He's five. Okay. Yeah. yeah he I has mean, attachment issues. His dad's yeah. out there. His mom's out there. Um, and he's just a huge handful. So when his birth father comes back into the picture, demanding to raise John himself, they let John senior take him away. Okay. Um, John gets thrown out of a dozen preschools. I was going to say, like, in my head, I'm like, he's preschool age. Mm-hmm. He's and kindergarten he, age to a degree as well. He, he is getting thrown out of all these. He Which just is, can't handle it. Oh, it goes both ways because they obviously need it so badly. Mm-hmm. But you can't have a kid who is so difficult and is acting out where it's destroying the experience of the other children in the mm-hmm. school. It's, yeah. Oh, it's so hard. It's so sad when a kid has to leave a preschool. Um, so when he's five, um, his family starts taking him to see a doctor. Okay. Because uh, they're like, obviously something's wrong. Let's yeah, get let's to have the him bo- see somebody. Of this. Um, so he's prescribed drugs to stabilize his moods. Okay. Uh, when he's 12 years old, he threatens his dad with a butcher knife and he's arrested for the first time. So his dad was scared of the 12-year-old that he mm-hmm. was really going to do something. Yeah. And involve the police. Mm-hmm. So John says it's self-defense in this Okay. Act. I mean, okay. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go back a little bit. Uh, in middle school, John is loud and he's popular. He puts on puppet shows in the cafeteria. Um, but he often has bruises and black eyes. Mm. Um, he tells his friends his dad beats him. Okay. And he talks about how much he hates his father. Okay. Um, child protective officers investigate John's dad four times, but they never arrest him. I wonder where their findings are. Yeah, I'm not, I didn't get to the bottom of that. Because removing a kid from a home is like a very last step. You have yeah. to truly feel like they're in danger, but like physically hurting them is interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I don't have the information, yeah. but obviously he gets um He's cleared. being investigated. They're yeah. looking and they're like, okay. Um, in eighth grade, John tells everyone he's gay. Okay. Uh, the next year, he drops out of school. Uh, when he's 17, uh, he climbs on the roof of his dad's duplex and he slits his arm with a knife. Oh. Uh, so his family decides to commit him for the first time. Okay. So he's he's crying out. He's, yeah. you know. Um, at, at some of these points, so when he's released from the first time he's committed, he goes and lives with his uncles. And um, he gets, like, really angry with them that they're telling him to, like, that there's rules yeah yeah you know there's structure they're like crave structure but they'll fight it oh yeah yeah Yeah. it's like your veggies you don't want to eat your veggies but you gotta eat them eat them um but anywho him and his uncles get an argument and so in retaliation he puts wax all over the stairs and he watches his uncle (gasps) eat it down the stairs and he the uncle breaks three ribs and john is just laughing the entire time Ooh. yeah so things are escalating Oh, that's bad. Mm-hmm. So John has prescriptions, um, but isn't always able to afford to refill them okay. or doesn't want to okay. or yeah, forgets yeah. or, you know, uh, when John doesn't have insurance, he stops going to treatment altogether. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. We've talked about when you go off meds and like going mm-hmm. on and off meds is not. Yeah. Because it takes recipe. you a long time to find the right amount on mm-hmm. each dosage and to level out on yourself. So to fluctuate between on yeah. and off. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. So on top of not taking his prescriptions regularly, he starts to abuse alcohol and drugs, which is... So he's self-medicating. Mm-hmm. So every few hours, John has to get high. High how? So his favorite buzz is from a synthetic marijuana called WTF, which is spice from the gas station. It's about 20 bucks. Oh, like a weird gas station? Mm-hmm. I've always wondered who buys that stuff. John. Okay. Okay. So he also starts doing meth to the point that his fingertips are charred from holding the glass pipe. No. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's doing meth. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So one day, John is high on meth, and his friend introduces him to this gorgeous woman named Michelle Kerr. She is 23 years old, and John is 18 at the time. So she's an older woman. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She has a son and daughter at this point. Okay. So John and Michelle 
start hanging out more and more and they start dating and John enrolls at Hillsborough Community College with Michelle. So he's on a bit of an upswing. Yes, yes. But now here's the downswing. Okay. In a jealous rage, he slashes her tires. And Michelle starts to describe John as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, because he's sober, probably, and, Mm -hmm. like, responsible and, like, being lovey. You know, with that, you know, mood stabilizer, you're manic. And then you're, you, you know, yeah. So you're going back and forth. So when the times were good, John would ask Michelle to marry him. Mm-hmm. And he actually asked her to marry him on so, four separate occasions. But while uh, this is going on, John is also arrested multiple times and charged with domestic violence against his mother and Michelle. Hmm. From his teenage years until now, John has committed 27 times under the Baker Act. What's the Baker Act? Which is used when you are deemed a danger to yourself or others. So it's like a 5150? Mm-hmm. Okay. So all this aside, John and Michelle move in together, and she becomes pregnant with the baby girl. Michelle, the, Michelle, Michelle. The baby girl is born on, um, or in Oct- on August of 2009, and they name her Phoebe after John's chihuahua. <laughs> Yeah, um and the relationship continues to be rocky and they uh are both are doing drugs at this point and they're constantly fighting so michelle is diagnosed with ms soon after phoebe is born and becomes unable to drive and work and so she starts collecting disability ms can be bad it depends on how you're like how symptomatic you are so she's collecting disability so mm-hmm. they need some income so john tries working in telemarketing and insurance but mostly he just lives off michelle's disability check Ugh, that's not for you john but he also has his money schemes i'm sure he does what are his money schemes okay so they include taking people's social security numbers and credit cards and using a machine to print forged checks um he also fakes a fall at the cheesecake factory he fakes a fall uh-huh then sues the chain for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars okay um and then he's telling everybody i'm never gonna have to work again once i get this uh, still you can't retire on that there's no way <laughs> no the he, things cost money so eventually michelle and john break up and john says he will take care of phoebe because Phoebe's Mich- the kitty out yeah, of her. Yeah, because Michelle can't go to work. And so he's like, I can work. I can take care of her. Like, I can drive. This is a mess. Yeah. Oh, I just remembered it's going to end in murder. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> Until, like, give you, like, a little bit more backstory. So, like, John's mom and dad, you kind of heard from the beginning, were yeah. abusive and, yeah. like, in the wind. Well, so was Michelle's family. So okay. nobody's, nobody's so they, really, yeah. you know, everyone's in the wind. Um, but when John has Phoebe... John's mom all of a sudden's like, I want to be a grandma. I'm going to go This clean is the one who sober. left him when she was, when he was five. Yeah. She was in a Yeah. So she goes to rehab and okay. she's like, I'm going to be mama. She's I, clean now. Yes. I got I'm, a granddaughter. Yes. And so that makes John very jealous. Like, you weren't a mother to me. Oh, you don't so know hard, how to parent. She, yeah. Oh, that's so hard. Yeah. So at this point, Phoebe is five years old and she has long honey colored hair and she loves Blue's Clues. She loves books about dogs and Cheerios, and she absolutely loves her father. So overall, Phoebe appears to be a happy little girl. However, she's almost nonverbal at five years old. Oof. And it takes her a Is lo- she going to school? Yeah. So it takes her... So she's going to daycare or preschool. Like she's around other kids yeah. and she's nonverbal? Yeah. And it takes her a long... It takes her like an hour, hour and a half every warm day. Up. Like there's a little chair by the front door where after she has a meltdown when her dad leaves, she system. sits there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she is also absolutely ter- terrified of water. And so like her, Why? her family, she just is, yeah, is. And so like her family and friends have like taken her to the pool. Like it's hot. They want, you know, it's Florida and they try to teach her how to like but swim. She's, she's like not getting in the water. She is so afraid of water that she's not taking baths. She's not getting in water. water. Yeah. So Phoebe's life isn't the most stable. John starts bouncing them between fam- uh, friends' houses and his dad's duplex. Because he doesn't really have a, a place. Yeah, and his uncle's home and his mom's apartment. He files injunctions against Michelle, trying to keep her from seeing Phoebe. All the meantime, Phoebe voices that she loves her dad. Loves her dad. Loves her dad. But he's afraid that Michelle wants to take her back. And, and that, that Michelle's like, not in a 
place for that to really mm-hmm. okay okay and so john becomes increasingly worried that michelle or his mother are going to try to take phoebe from him okay and i also read like so he was trying to keep phoebe away from michelle and at one point she's like please like can i see her for i think it was thanksgiving and so they went to a restaurant all together but then michelle brings a guy she's dating and so that kind of just and like yeah. phoebe's like taken by this new character in the mix and mm-hmm. john's just like super jealous yeah so on January, now I'm going to kind of break down a timeline. Okay. On January, on January 1st, 2015, during the first week of January, John texts six people asking them to forgive him. Out of nowhere, you get a text from John saying, please forgive me. Mm-hmm. Okay. No one responds. No one responds. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of who, reaching. Who are the six people? It's just some friends. Okay. So he's like trying to reach out. Okay. No one's responding to him. Uh, he also becomes obsessed with his stepmom's Swedish Bible. And he spreads salt around the doorways to keep out evil spirit. So John takes Phoebe to visit his lawyer, Genevieve Torres, insisting that Genevieve read a Swedish Bible to him since he is the creator slash God. What's this lawyer say? And the kid is there, right? Mm hmm. After he leaves, she calls GCF, yeah. saying that John is delusional and has a child with him. In the well, me- I'm sure she's a mandatory reporter. Yes, yes. In the meantime, John goes to his stepmom's house, and his stepmom also is there with Phoebe. So when DCF comes to investigate, they're like, we don't really have to investigate further. There's other people with John and Phoebe. They don't ask, like, where do you live all the time? They might have. I don't have that information. And they're also stretched super thin. Yeah. That system is so broken because it's just throttled. It just doesn't have the resources. Funding and, yeah. Yeah. So later, John takes Phoebe to three churches, begging priests for an exorcism. When he comes out of one priest's office, Hillsborough's uh, county sheriff's deputies, deputies are waiting, but the priest says John isn't a danger to himself or anyone else. So the, the let, priest vouches for him? Mm-hmm. So they oh, let, there's so many steps. People are trying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they let him go. That night, he and Phoebe eat dinner with his parents and his mom and fall asleep on, uh, on the couch. About 10 p.m., his da- his dad and stepmom hear the front door open. About what time? 10 p.m. Okay. So John, in the meantime, is putting Phoebe in the back of his PT Cruiser, and all she is wearing, <laughs> all she is wearing is shorts and a green cat T-shirt. Okay. It's On, Florida. It's hot. Yeah. Uh, January 8th of 2015. So we're going into, so we're in January 7th. We're going into yeah. midnight. Going into the next day. Around midnight, a police officer named William Vickers sees John going about 90 miles per hour toward the Sunshine Skyway Bridge and pulls behind him and starts flashing his lights. John stops and gets out of the car, and Officer Vickers tells him to get back in the car Mm -hmm. and to let me see your hands. Yeah, they don't want you getting out. John then walks between the cars and shouts at the officer, you have no free will. Okay. John then opens the back door of his car and picks up phoebe and carries her to the edge of the bridge railing which is six stories above the water john then drops phoebe into tampa bay and they're they're not like in the middle of the bridge so they're is that into water is that into like where Mm -hmm. the water meets the land into water Six stories is really high. And Phoebe doesn't know how to swim. She's deathly afraid She's of water. Five, yeah. It's in the middle of the night. So John then leads police on a high-speed chase across the bridge and is eventually arrested and charged with murder, assault, fleeing, and eluding police. Officers they hold... They see him drop her. They're immediately trying to get her. Yeah, I think... I think there's one officer there. Uh, officer They're Vickers. Back. Yep, yeah. yep. So officers hold him is for... Is there more to, like, why she's so afraid of water? Do we ever get to know that? Mm-hmm. I just felt like I needed to include it because she's dropped into the water. Yeah. Uh, so officers hold him for a mental evaluation. So we're going to go into the trial. So prosecu- prosecutors say John killed his daughter out of spite, trying to keep her from her uh, mother and grandmother. They contend he had time to think about the crime and should be convicted of first degree premeditated murder. Public defenders argue that there's no way to know why John killed his five-year-old. They say he was driven by delusions, and the jurors can't try to up- apply reason to an irrational act. John, they contend, should not be found guilty by reason of insanity. Which, that plea doesn't, like, when you look at the stats, mm-hmm. 
like guilty by reason of insanity rarely rare. gets it's, it's so very rare. rare it's so people rare people go for it but you don't get it very yeah. often yeah so during the trial john is muttering to himself and he's saying he's seeing hallucinations and people are like is he faking it is it mm-hmm. real and like obviously there's some bias but like the family members and people who knew john are like he has always been evil like um his uncle who raised him yeah um was just like he was pure evil from like the beginning like he evil or yeah. just like off yeah yeah so during the trial, John, uh, again, is muttering to himself and seeing hallucinations. However, his rantings don't sway the jury, which after six and a half hours of deliberation, ultimately decided that John, who's now 29, knew killing Phoebe was wrong. So prosecutors say he was acting is out that of... The dis- is that the distinguishing factor? You knew it was wrong? Yes. So prosecutors say he's he killed out of vengeance, killing Phoebe so her mother could never get custody of her and because he was bitter that his own mother loved the little girl with affection she never showed for him. I mean, all him. of those are valid. They mm-hmm. kind of jive with the story, too. Uh, and like I said, those articles I mentioned in the beginning, read through those, detailed notes, amazing investigative mm-hmm. work. So on April 16th of 2019, ooh, recent. So this year, yeah, couple couple weeks ago, John um is guilty of first degree murder. Found yeah, found that, guilty. It the hammer came down. Mhm. Dang. Yeah. A little like a side that I th- thought was interesting, police never drug tested John on the night he dropped Phoebe off the bridge. Really? Mhm. But they arrested him. Mm-hmm. They That's held, not part of normal booking. They held him for mental evaluation. Wasn't he also being? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they didn't. So they did know. They have no idea what he was on that night. Yeah. And was he just on his brain, mm-hmm. or was he on other stuff? Mm-hmm. And does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. And he he is found guilty. He is it's first degree murder. Like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's sad. And that that is like a, essentially. Ray of Sunshine was just telling me how that's such a prominent case in the news right now. And like, yeah, yeah. everyone's talking about it. So, well, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. So it took place, the incident uh, of that night took place like four years prior. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been in the, that's, you know, I was in high school, I think, when all the Lacey Peterson, Scott Peterson mm-hmm. stuff was got like, and just watching all of that. Like there is, there's just certain stories that kind of like. Mm-hmm. hit your hometown and it's just all over anytime there's a little thing about it yeah not only does it make national news for certain stuff but then like your local news is obsessed with it for yeah every little thing that comes out um but yeah if you guys want more information tampa bay like i was saying the tampa yeah. bay times has such amazing articles about this local uh, papers man yeah um so yeah that was the hurricane those were our murders jackie are you listening reading watching i'm in the middle of these hurricane tapes podcast oh yeah mm-hmm Love it. Highly recommend it. Perfect. It's really good. Well done. Um, yeah, there was a... Oh, I want to reread the Harry Potters. Yes. So I think that's my next reading thing. I'm going to read some Harry Potters. I need to get a jump on you before I lend them to you because now I want to... Now it's a race and I want to win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Start the first one. When you finish it, hand it to me and Perfect. I'll just always be one book behind. Yay. Um, yeah. My mom used to take me to like the Harry Potter release parties for the. I love it was that. like stand. I I thought it was midnight. It's probably at ten o'clock, but it was like uh, <laughs> felt so late. Was it Borders? Borders. Borders. borders oh books. my god, they were big into Harry Potter. Ooh, and like you would like dress up, and my mom would like borders stand was great. Yeah, she would like pre-order the book, so when we got there, like we had a book for sure. I love that. That and was then the she's thing. like, okay, go to sleep, wink, wink, and I like stay up reading it. And she knew I was, and so she's like, hey, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram, at Killer Cocktails Podcast, or stop by our website, killercocktailspodcast.com, for up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. <laughs> That's not a hurricane. So a, bah- a Bahamanese, a Bahamis, a Bahamian. hurricane, Bahamanian, Bahamanian? <laughs> a hurricane from the Bahamas. It's-